This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, 
I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Holly Wiseman, Kathleen Popa, Lori M. Koziana, and a very special Patreon shout-out to Ava Rose, who listens to the show and just turned eight um, this past week. So, really big happy birthday to you, Ava Rose. And thank you all so much for donating and being a part of making this show. Uh, if you listening uh, are not familiar with how Patreon works and these names that I just read, um, Patreon is a wonderful website where you can go and support creators of the work that you like directly. So if the Sleepy Podcast has helped you get a better night's sleep and wake up more refreshed the next day, maybe it's part of your nightly routine, then consider going to patreon.com slash sleepy radio and donating even a dollar a month. It goes a really long way. At $5 a month, you get access to all kinds of extra poetry readings sent to you every month um, that are not in the normal podcast feed, but no matter how much you donate, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So if you would like to be a part of making this show, like all these wonderful names I just read, just go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover off for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Well, I have another Christmas story for you tonight for this holiday season. I hope you liked uh, last week's episode, Old Christmas. Um, my voice is back, so tonight is a brand new story that we'll be reading. And it's a story from Christmas Tales and Christmas Verse by Eugene Field. And it is a wonderful, dreamy little tale called The Mouse and the Moonbeam. I am very much feeling the Christmas spirit this year. Um, I already got my tree up and decorated in my little apartment. It's one of those little Charlie Brown trees that uh, I cut down in the woods outside my family home. It's really cute, pretty sparse, but it's got a lot of uh, Christmas character. Anyways, I'm really happy to be bringing you Christmas stories this whole month, and I really hope you enjoy Tonight's story, The Mouse and the Moonbeam, by Eugene Field. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes and let me read to you.
the mouse and the moonbeam. Whilst you were sleeping, little dear my soul, strange things happened. But that I saw and heard them, I should never have believed them. The clock stood, of course, in the corner. A moonbeam floated idly on the floor, and a little mauve mouse came from the hole in the chimney corner and frisked and scampered in the light of the moonbeam upon the floor. The little mauve mouse was particularly merry. Sometimes she danced upon two legs and sometimes upon four legs, but always very daintily and always very merrily. Ah, me, sighed the old clock. How different mice are nowadays from the mice we used to have in the good old times. Now, there was your grandma, Mistress Velvet Paw, and there was your grandpa, Master Sniff Whisker. How grave and dignified they were. Many a night have I seen them dancing upon the carpet below me, but always the stately minuet, and never that crazy frisking which you are executing now, to my surprise. Yes, and to my horror too. But why shouldn't I be merry? Asked the little mauve mouse. Tomorrow is Christmas, and this is Christmas Eve. So it is, said the old clock. I had really forgotten all about it. But tell me, what is Christmas to you, little Miss Mauve Mouse? A great deal to me, cried the little mauve mouse. I have been very good a very long time. I have not used any bad words, nor have I gnawed any holes, nor have I stolen any canary seed, nor have I worried my mother by running behind the flour barrel where that horrid trap is set. In fact, I have been so good that I'm very sure Santa Claus will bring me something very pretty. This seemed to amuse the old clock mightily. In fact, the old clock fell to laughing so heartily that in an unguarded moment she struck twelve instead of ten, which was exceedingly careless and therefore to be reprehended. Why, you silly little mauve mouse, said the old clock, you don't believe in Santa Claus, do you? Of course I do, answered the little mauve mouse. Believe in Santa Claus? Why shouldn't I? Didn't Santa Claus bring me a beautiful butter cracker last Christmas, and a lovely ginger snap, and a delicious rind of cheese, and, and, lots of things? I should be very ungrateful if I did not believe in Santa Claus and I certainly shall not disbelieve in him at the very moment when I am expecting him to arrive with a bundle of goodies for me. Tomorrow is Christmas, and this is Christmas Eve. 
I once had a little sister, continued the little mauve mouse, who did not believe in Santa Claus, and the very thought of the fate that befell her makes my blood run cold and my whiskers stand on end. She died before I was born, but my mother has told me all about her. Perhaps you never saw her. Her name was Squeak Neville, and she was in stature one of those long, low, rangy mice that are seldom found in well-stocked pantries. Mother says that Squeak Neville took after our ancestors who came from New England, where the malignant ingenuity of the people and the ferocity of the cats rendered life precarious indeed. Squeak Nibble seemed to inherit many ancestral traits, the most conspicuous of which was a disposition to sneer at some of the most respected dogmas and milestones. From her very infancy, she doubted, for example, the widely accepted theory that the moon was composed of green cheese, and this heresy was the first intimation that her parents had of the skeptical turn of her mind. Of course, her parents were vastly annoyed, for their mature nature saw that this youthful skepticism portended serious, if not fatal, consequences. Yet all in vain did the sagacious couple reason and plead with their headstrong and heretical child. For a long time, Squeak Nibble would not believe that there was any such archfiend as a cat, but she came to be convinced to the contrary one memorable night, on which occasion she lost two inches of her beautiful tail and received so terrible a fright that for fully an hour afterward, her little heart beat so violently as to lift her off her feet and bump her head against the top of our domestic hall. The cat that deprived my sister of so large a percentage of her vertebral colophon was the same brindled ogress that nowadays steals ever and anon into this room, crouches treacherously behind the sofa, and feigns to be asleep, hoping, forsooth, that some of us, heedless, of her hated presence, will venture within reach of her diabolical claws. So enraged was this ferocious monster at the escape of my sister that she ground her fangs viciously together and vowed to take no pleasure in life until she held in her devouring jaws the innocent little mouse which belonged to the mangled bit of tail she even then clutched in her remorseless paws. Yes, said the old clock. Now that you recall the incident, I recollect it as well. I was here then, in this very corner, and I remember that I laughed at the cab and chided her for her awkwardness. My reproaches irritated her. She told me that a clock's duty was to run itself down, not to be deprecating the merits of others. Yes, 
I recall the time that cat's tongue is fully as sharp as her claws. Be that as it may, said the little mauve mouse, it is a matter of history, and therefore beyond dispute that from that very moment the cat pined for Squeak Nibble's life. It seemed as if that one little two-inch taste of Squeak Nibble's tail had filled the cat with a consuming passion or appetite for the rest of Squeak Nibble. So the cat waited and watched and hunted and schemed and devised and did everything possible for a cat, a cruel cat, to do in order to gain her murderous ends. One night, one fatal Christmas Eve, our mother had undressed the children for bed and was urging upon them to go to sleep earlier than usual since she fully expected that Santa Claus would bring each of them something very palatable and nice before morning. Thereupon, the little deers whisked their cunning tails, pricked up their beautiful ears, and began telling one another what they hoped Santa Claus would bring. One asked for a slice of Roquefort. Another for new channel, another for Sap Sago, and a fourth for Adam. One expressed a preference for debris, while another hoped to get Parmesan. One clamored for Imperial Blue Stilton, and another craved the fragrant boon of Cabrera. There were fourteen little ones then and consequently there were diverse opinions as to the kind of gift which Santa Claus should best bring. Still, there was, as you can readily understand, an enthusiastic unanimity upon this point, namely that the gift should be cheese of some brand or other. My dears, said our mother, what matters it whether the boon which Santa Claus brings be royal English cheddar or fromage de Bricquebec, Vermont sage or Herkimer County skim milk? We should be content with whatsoever Santa Claus bestows, so long as it be cheese, disjoined from all traps whatsoever, unmixed with Paris green and free from glass strychnine, and other harmful ingredients. As for myself, I shall be satisfied with a cut of nice, fresh, western reserve, for truly I recognize in no other viand or edible half the fragrance or half the gustfulness to be met within one of these pale but aromatic domestic products. So run away to your dreams now, that Santa Claus may find you sleeping. The children obeyed, all but squeak nibble. Let the others think what they please, said she, but I don't believe in Santa Claus. 
I'm not going to bed either. I'm going to creep out of this dark hole and have a quiet romp all by myself in the moonlight. Oh, what a vain, foolish, wicked little mouse was Squeak Nibble. But I will not reproach the dead. Her punishment came all too swiftly. Now listen. Who do you suppose overheard her talking so disrespectfully of Santa Claus? Why, Santa Claus himself, said the old clock. Oh no, answered the little moth mouse. It was that wicked, murderous cat. Just as Satan lurks and lies in wait for bad children, so does the cruel cat lurk and lie in wait for naughty little mice. And you can depend upon it that when that awful cat heard Squeak Nibble speak so disrespectfully of Santa Claus, her wicked eyes glowed with joy, her sharp teeth water, and her bristling fur emitted electric sparks as big as marrow-fat peas. Then, what did that bloodthirsty monster do but scuttle as fast as she could into dear my soul's room, leap up into dear my soul's crib, and walk off with the pretty little white muff which dear my soul used to wear when she went for a visit to the little girl in the next block. What upon her did the horrid old cat want with dear my soul's pretty little white muff? Ah, the duplicity the diabolical ingenuity of that cat. Listen. In the first place, resumed the little moth mouse, after a pause that testified eloquently to the depth of her emotion. In the first place, that wretched cat dressed herself up in that pretty little white muff, by which you are to understand that she crawled through the muff just so far as to leave her four cruel legs at liberty. Yes, I understand, said the old clock. Then she put on the boy doll's fur cap, said the little moth mouse. And when she was arrayed in the boy doll's fur cap, and dear my soul's pretty little white muff, of course she didn't look like a cruel cat at all. But whom did she look like? Like the boy doll, suggested the old clock. No, no, cried the little moth mouse. Like dear my soul, asked the old clock. How silly you are, exclaimed the little moth mouse. Why, she looked like Santa Claus, of course. Oh, yes, I see, said the old clock. Now I begin to be interested. Go on. Alas, sighed the little mauve mouse. Not much remains to be told. But there is more of my story left than there was of Squeak Nibble when that horrid cat crawled out of that miserable disguise. 
You are to understand that, contrary to her sagacious mother's injunction and in the notorious derision of the mooted coming of Santa Claus, Squeak Nibble issued from the friendly hole in the chimney corner and gambled about over this very carpet, and I dare say, in this very moonlight. I do not know, said the moonbeam faintly. I am so very old, and I have seen so many things. I do not know. Bright merrily was Squeak Nibble gambling, continued the little mauve mouse, and she had just turned a double back somersault without the use of what remained of her tail, when, all of a sudden, she beheld, looming up like a monster ghost, a figure all in white fur. Oh, how frightened she was, and how her little heart did beat. Purr, purr, said the ghost in white fur. Oh, please don't hurt me, pleaded Squeak Nibble. No, I'll not hurt you, said the ghost in white fur. I am Santa Claus, and I've brought you a beautiful piece of savory old cheese, you dear little mousy you. Poor Squeak Nibble was deceived. A skeptic all her life, she was at last befooled by the most palpable and most fatal of frauds. How good of you, said Squeak Nibble. I didn't believe there was a Santa Claus, and... But before she could say more, that was the last of Squeak Nibble. I can dwell no longer upon this harrowing scene. Suffice it to say that ere the morrow's sun rose like a big yellow Herkimer County cheese upon the spot where the tragedy had been enacted. Poor Squeak Nibble passed to that bourne whence two inches of her beautiful tail had preceded her by the space of three weeks to a day. As for Santa Claus, when he came that Christmas Eve, bringing more so debris and of Stilton for the other little mice, he heard with sorrow Squeak Nibble's fate, and there he departed. He said that in all his experience he had never known of a mouse or of a child that had prospered after once saying he didn't believe in Santa Claus. Well, that is a remarkable story, said the old clock. But if you believe in Santa Claus, why aren't you in bed? That's where I shall be presently, answered the little moth mouse. But I must have my scamper, you know. It is very pleasant, I assure you, to frolic in the light of the moon. Only I cannot understand why you are always so cold and so solemn and so still, you pale, pretty little moonbeam. Indeed, I do not know that I am so, said the moonbeam. But I am very old, and I have traveled many, many leagues 
and I have seen wondrous things. Sometimes I toss upon the ocean, sometimes I fall upon a slumbering flower, sometimes I rest upon a child's face. I see the fairies at their play, and I hear mothers singing lullabies. Last night I swept across the frozen bosom of a river. A woman's face looked up at me. It was the picture of eternal rest. She is sleeping, said the frozen river. I rock her to and fro and sing to her. Pass gently by, O moonbeam. Pass gently by, lest you awaken her. How strangely you talk, said the old clock. Now, I'll warn me that if you wanted to, you could tell many a pretty and wonderful story. You must know many a Christmas tale. Pray, tell us one to wear away this night of Christmas watching. I know but one, said the moonbeam. I have told it over and over again, in every land and in every home, yet I do not weary of it. It is very simple. Should you like to hear it? Indeed we should, said the old clock. But before you begin, let me strike twelve, for I shouldn't want to interrupt you. When the old clock had performed this duty with somewhat more than usual alacrity, the moonbeam began its story. Upon a time, so long that I can't tell how long ago it was, I fell upon a hillside. It was in a far distant country, this I know, because although it was the Christmas time, it was not in that country, as it wont to be in countries to the north. Hither, the snow king never came. Flowers bloomed all the year, and at all times the lambs found pleasant pasturage on the hillsides. The night wind was balmy, and there was a fragrance of cedar in its breath. There were violets on the hillside, and I fell amongst them and lay there. I kissed them, and they awakened. Ah, is it you, little moonbeam, they said, and they nestled in the grass which the lambs had left uncropped. A shepherd lay upon a broad stone on the hillside. Above him spread an olive tree, old, ragged, and gloomy. But now it swayed its rusty branches majestically in the shifting air of night. The shepherd's name was Benoni. Wearied with long watching, he had fallen asleep. His crook had slipped from his hand. Upon the hillside, too, 
slapped the shepherd's flock. I had counted them again and again. I had stolen across their gentle faces and brought them pleasant dreams of green pastures and of cool water brooks. I had kissed old Benoni, too, as he lay slumbering there, and in his dreams he seemed to see Israel's king come upon earth, and in his dreams he murmured the promised Messiah's name. Ah, is it you, little moonbeam, quoth the violets? You have come in good time. Nestle here with us and see wonderful things come to pass. What are these wonderful things of which you speak? I asked. We heard the old olive tree telling of them tonight, said the violets. Do not go to sleep, little violets, said the old olive tree, for this is Christmas night and the master shall walk upon the hillside in the glory of the midnight hour. So we waited and watched. One by one the lambs fell asleep. One by one the stars peeped out. The shepherd nodded and crooned and crooned and nodded. And at last he too went fast asleep and his crook slipped from his keeping. Then we called to the old olive tree yonder, asking how soon the midnight hour would come, but all the old olive tree answered was, presently, presently. And finally, we too fell asleep, wearied by our long watching, and lulled by the rocking and swaying of the old olive tree in the breezes of the night. But who is this master? I asked. A child, a little child, they answered. He is called the little master by the others. He comes here often and plays among the flowers of the hillside. Sometimes the lambs, gambling too carelessly, have crushed and bruised us so that we lie bleeding and are like to die. But the little meister heals our wounds and refreshes us once again. I marveled much to hear these things, the midnight hour is at hand, said I, and I will abide you to see this little master of whom you speak. So we nestled among the verdure of the hillside and sang songs to one another. Come away, called the night wind. I know a beauteous sea not far hence upon whose bosom you shall flow, flow, float away out into the mists and clouds, if you will come with me. But I hid under the violets and amid the tall grass, 
that the night wind might not woo me with its bleeding. Ho oh, there, old olive tree, cried the violets. Do you see the little master coming? Is it not the midnight hour at hand? I can see the town yonder, said the old olive tree. A star beams bright over Bethlehem. The iron gates swing open, and the little master comes. Two children came to the hillside. The one, older than his comrade, was Demas, the son of Benoni. He was rugged and sinewy, and over his brown shoulders was flung a goatskin. A leathern cap did not confine his long, dark, curly hair. The other child was he whom they called the little master. About his slender form clung raiment white as snow, and around his face of heavenly innocence fell curls of golden yellow. So beautiful a child I had not seen before, nor have I ever seen such as he. And as they came together to the hillside, there seemed to glow about the little master's head a soft white light, as if the moon had sent its tenderest, fairest beams to kiss those golden curls. What sound was that? cried Demas for he was exceeding fearful. Have no fear, Demas, said the little master. Give me thy hand, and I will lead thee. Presently, they came to the rock whereon Benoni, the shepherd, lay, and they stood under the old olive tree, and the old olive tree swayed no longer in the night wind, but bent its branches reverently in the presence of the little master. It seemed as if the wind, too, stayed in its shifting course just then, for suddenly there was a solemn hush, and you could hear no noise, except that in his dreams, Benoni spoke the Messiah's name. Thy father sleeps, said the little master, and it is all well that it is so, for that I love thee, Demas, and thou shalt walk with me in my father's kingdom, I would show thee the glories of my birthright. Then all at once sweet music filled the air, and light, greater than the light of day, illumined the sky and fell upon all that hillside. The heavens opened, and angels, singing joyous songs, walked to the earth. More wondrous still, the stars, falling from their places in the sky, clustered upon the old olive tree and swung hither and thither like colored lanterns. The flowers of the hillside all awaken, 
and they too danced and sang. The angels, coming hither, hung gold and silver and jewels and precious stones upon the olive grove, where swung the stars, so that the glory of that sight, though I might live forever, I shall never see again. When Demas heard and saw these things, he fell upon his knees, and catching the hem of the little master's garment, he kissed it. Greater joy than this shall be thine, Demas, said the little master, but first must all things be fulfilled. All through that Christmas night did the angels come and go with their sweet anthems. All through that Christmas night did the stars dance and sing. And when it came my time to steal away, the hillside was still beautiful with the glory of the music of heaven. Well, is that all? asked the clock. No, said the moonbeam, but I am nearly done. The years went on. Sometimes I tossed upon the ocean's bosom. Sometimes I scampered o'er the battlefield. Sometimes I lay upon a child's face. I heard the voices of darkness and mother's lullabies and sick men's prayers. And so the years went on. I fell one night upon a hard and furrowed face. It was of ghostly pallor. A thief was dying on the cross, and this was his face. About the cross stood men with staves and swords and spears, but none paid heed unto the thief. Somewhat beyond this cross another was lifted up, and upon it stretched a body my light fell not upon. But I heard a voice that somewhere I had heard before, though where I did not know. And this voice blessed those railed and jeered and shamefully entreated. And suddenly the voice called, Demas, Demas. And the thief upon whose hardened face I rested made answer. Then I saw it was Demas. Yet to this wicked criminal there remained but little of the shepherd child whom I had seen in all his innocence upon the hillside. Long years of sinful life had seared their marks into his face. Yet now, at the sound of that familiar voice, somewhat of the old-time boyish look came back, and in the yearning of the anguished eyes, I seemed to see the shepherd's son again. The master cried Demas, and he stretched forth his neck that he might see him that spake. O oh, Demas, how art thou changed, cried the master. Yet there was in his voice no tone of rebuke, 
save that which cometh of love. Then Demas wept, and in that hour he forgot his pain, and the master's consoling voice and the master's presence there wrought in the dying criminal such a new spirit that when at last his head fell upon his bosom and the man about the cross said that he had passed, it seemed as if I shine not upon a felon's face, but upon the face of the gentle shepherd lad, the son of Benoni. And shining on that peaceful face, I bethought me of the little master's words that he had spoken under the old olive tree upon the hillside. Your eyes behold the promised glory now, O Demas, I whisper. For with the master, you walk in paradise. Ah, little dear my soul, you know. You know whereof the moonbeams spake. The shepherd's bones are dust. The flocks are scattered. The old olive tree is gone. The flowers of the hillside are withered. And none knoweth where the grave of Demas is made. But last night, again, there shined a star over Bethlehem, and the angels descended from the sky to earth, and the stars sang together in glory. And the bells, hear them, little dear my soul, how sweetly they are ringing. The bells bear us the good tidings of great joy this Christmas morning that our Christ is born and that with him he bringeth peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.